0: Good morning. I was hoping you would still all be on spring break. (laughs) If I had a choice, uh, I would not have chosen this passage to speak on. It seems a somber and grim message. The world will hate you. What a promise. Not quite what we were looking for. Not a fuzzy sermon for a lazy Sunday morning. And yet, this message must be crucial because these are some of the last words of Jesus to his closest friends, just hours before he would be betrayed, arrested, and killed. Before his arrest and crucifixion, he eats a last meal with his friends. He gives them lengthy instructions, the so called farewell discourse. These were delivered in ancient Jewish li- literature in the face of imminent death or departure. In it, the speaker makes known the deepest desires and concerns for those that he leaves behind. No more small talk. It's time to pay attention. The longer I sat with this passage and resisted the temptation to skim over it and go on to more positive verses, I discovered something that I missed at first glance. These verses we just read are intimately connected to the verses that precede them and that Mike illuminated to us last week in his sermon on the vine and the branches. Jesus invites us into such profound and deep union with him to cling as closely to him as branches do to a vine that we bear his name. We are his name bearers. And therefore, we share not only in His power and love and blessings, but also in His sufferings. We are so intimately entwined and linked with Him that when we suffer, He suffers. What we do for the least of these, we do to Him. Remember how He said to Saul on the road to Damascus, Why are you persecuting me? He takes it very personal when his children are hurt. This mysterious oneness, this intimate communion we can have with Jesus flooded me with joy. The point is not the suffering. The point is this incredible fusion between God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit and his followers. A greater love. Throughout the Gospels we see that Jesus' person and teaching divided his audiences and the reaction was often hostility and rejection but some believed. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god in john 1 we see throughout john's gospel that the religious leaders opposed jesus and tried to kill him john 5:16 says because jesus was doing these things on the sabbath the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In John 8, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus slipped away from the temple grounds. In uh, John 9, it says, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledges the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Remember in his hometown in Nazareth, he was mocked. They said, isn't this the son of Joseph? And they tried to kill him by throwing him over a cliff. Like, it wasn't just, you know, shrugging shoulders or some mildly disagreement, but murderous hate? As a matter of fact, Jesus was persecuted and hated from his birth. Remember Herod the Great who tried to kill him? All the way to his death on the cross. The Christian view of suffering is radically different from our contemporary views, which see suffering more as a failure of God and an affront to our feelings of entitlement to comfort and ease. Of course, not all suffering is created equal, and not all suffering is persecution. As I think I told you the story of our son Brian when he was like six years old and had trouble at school, and when I asked him what the problem was, he said, all this just because I'm a Christian. (laughs) We didn't quite buy that. Life can be painful, as we all know. Sometimes we suffer due to our own sin, or someone else's sin, or as a part of the fallen world, where we age, we get sick, and we die. In fact, the whole creation, scripture tells us, is groaning as in the pain of childbirth, longing for liberation from its bondage to decay. And certainly, today, we don't have to look far to see disease and addictions. Exploitation and senseless wars and aggressions ravage our world. But we read in the Old Testament of many prophets who were persecuted for speaking God's word, both by rejection of their message and by physical violence. Think of Jeremiah, who was mocked, beaten, accused of being a traitor for announcing God's judgment on Jerusalem through the Babylonians. Think of Elijah, who challenged the powerful in his society and was rewarded with death threats. In Isaiah 53, foreshadows the suffering servant who would take up our pain and bear our suffering, who would be pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. You know, bringing God's prophetic word to the people it was sent to has always been a costly business. Stephen, in his speech before the Jewish Sanhedrin, went as far as to say, was there ever a prophet you did not persecute? Jesus ended his final beatitude in the Sermon of the Mount with these words, in the same way They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter in his first epistle says, it is commendable if someone bears under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. All of the Apostles suffered greatly, most of them martyrs death because of their proclamation of Jesus as Lord and their refusal to denounce their faith. Belonging to Jesus inevitably brings us into the crosshairs of the world. Two different worlds are clashing. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, a greater love. I have had the absolute privilege to meet heroic Christians in Morocco who refused to renounce their Lord. Fatima, not her real name and not her real picture, was thrown in jail together with her husband for being a Christian in a Muslim country. Uh, they put the snitch into her cell into her uh, uh, where she was held because she had to leave her child her young child with neighbors this snitch tried to uh, convince her to sign a paper she said your husband is telling you the husband who was in the male uh, cell where the, the men were kept your husband is telling you to sign this paper to renounce Christ and say that you're a Muslim again and you can go home and take care of your child. Fatima refused. We stand in awe of such devotion and conviction and moral strength. Bill Kent, I don't know if he's here or maybe online, he shared this story with me this week. He said, in 1965, in the middle of civil war in the Dominican Republic, there was a nationwide evangelical uh, program. In the city of Barahona, a procession of evangelicals walked through the city center, announcing a large public service. Gospel tracts and other leaflets were being distributed to all the onlookers. City officials were not impressed and arrested the evangelical leaders and put them behind bars together with many other jailed prisoners. The church leaders still had their briefcases with them full of tracts and leaflets. So what do you think they did with those? They started distributing them to all the other prisoners. This was too much for the city leaders, so they kicked them out of jail. We can all think of people of God who have suffered tremendously for their faith throughout history and to this day. In fact, according to the 2021 World Watch List compiled by the Christian advocacy group Open Doors that maybe some of you know, says more than 340 million Christians face high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. Countries identified with extreme persecution I'm sure you can, do you want to throw out some? Where do you think in the world today Christians suffer a high level? Yeah, yeah, China, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any others that you can think of? Afghanistan, yes, Yemen, Iran, Eritrea, Nigeria, and the list goes on. These are our brothers and sisters, our family, a greater love. So as we look at the passage of today closer, I want to define two words first that uh, appear a lot in this text. First, the term hate. It's used seven times. It's derived from the Greek word miseo. And it means to detest, to denounce, to love less, to persecute, to esteem less, to slight. And we could add many words here. Uh, I have not suffered much persecution in Morocco, but I remember getting spit on, and my husband uh, getting spit in his face. And even though it doesn't hurt, right, it does hurt when you're spit on or even when you pass somebody and they spit on the floor. Persecution has many faces. Discrimination, mockery, kidnapping, enslavement, prison, torture, and all the way to death. And even in the text today, we see the progression from hate in verse 18 and 19 to persecution in verse 20 and then excommunication uh, from the synagogues and death in, in chapter 16. And of course, the book of Acts is full of examples. Just ask the apostle Paul. The second term I want to um, make sure we understand is the term world. Uh, This comes from the Greek word kosmos, and Jesus uses it six times in verse 18 and 19. It literally means order or something ordered, so like the universe. Uh, For example, the term cosmetic uh, also comes from this word cosmos. So, the order of um, uh, treating the face as a whole. In scripture, this word cosmos has three different meanings. So, it doesn't always mean the same when we see the word uh, cosmos or world. Uh, For example, think of um, John 1.10 when it says, he was in the world. That word uh, world means the created world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. That's the creation, the created world. A different meaning, the second meaning is the world of humanity. So for example, when in John 3, 16, when God says, God so loved the world, it means the world of humanity. He loved humanity. And then the third meaning in world is the organized world system that's opposed to God. And of course, in our text, the world hates you. This is the meaning in our text. Suffering and especially persecution takes a completely different perspective in the Bible. And I want to go through some of the verses, and I want you not to look away. I want you to see these verses and feel them. And I'm going to let Scripture speak uh, to your heart. Acts five forty one. So they left the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. Romans 5, 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Second Corinthians 1:5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through christ philippians 1:29. for it has been granted to you on behalf of christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him philippians 3:10. i want to know christ said paul yes to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. First Thessalonians 1.6 You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And Second Timothy 1.8 So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. These are remarkable verses. Christians don't experience persecution in spite of God's love, but rather it's because of God's love that by suffering we are privileged to share in the life of our Savior, who suffered for us, a greater love. And mysteriously, many Christians who have suffered persecution share how during their hardest times in life, they felt closest to God. When we suffer for him, he draws close and gives us a heightened sense of his love for us. In those moments, he gives us special grace and comfort to endure. And I have to say, I have never felt Jesus' love so tangibly than in my darkest days during our expulsion from Morocco. Dr. Paul Brand, a renowned British surgeon who devoted his life to the most marginalized people on the planet, People in the untouchable caste in India added to it having leprosy. They were referred to as the living dead. He wrote a book called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants, together with author Philip Yancey. He says, pain is not something that most of us would count as a blessing, but we're missing one key piece of information. Pain is the body's built-in warning system that something is wrong and needs to be fixed. Pain as a gift? The strange truth about persecution is its effect. It strengthens the church. As Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 1 Peter 4 says, Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or a meddler, however if you suffer as a Christian do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear his name a greater love to me there's hardly anything more gripping and stunning than seeing someone choosing to suffer rather than denying the Lord Christ could have avoided suffering. He could have turned the stone into bread. He could have let the crowds hail him as the new king. He could have let the cup pass. He could have called down an army of angels to rescue him. Yet he didn't. He suffered hunger. He rejected the temptation of instant fame. He drank the bitter cup and he let those cruel nails pierce his flesh. Why? Because God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Of course we can avoid persecution for his name. We can choose to stay comfortable and safe and avoid unnecessary pain. It would be easy to be loved by the world. Just belong to it, fit in, assimilate, go with the flow, submit to cultural norms, don't stick out, don't speak up, live and let live, and above all, Be tolerant. In a country hostile to Christians, a government leader once said to Billy Graham, with a twinkle in his eyes, Christians seem to thrive under persecution. Perhaps we should prosper them and then they would disappear. I'm just going to let that stand for a second. But as we follow the master, he calls us to be salt and light to a needy world. We are not all asked to lay down our lives, but if we follow Christ faithfully, we will experience opposition and pressure in various ways. According to scripture, it's a natural consequence of living the Christian life. And lest we spiritualize this too much, Let's put some earthiness to this. I think it comes down to simple daily choices. Will I have that uncomfortable conversation for the sake of reconciliation? Will I sacrifice my precious time to visit my hurting neighbor? Will I show kindness to my difficult coworker? Am I willing to use my gift in any way he chooses? Am I willing to persevere in doing good? Will I put my phone down to be present to a friend? Do I let Jesus soften my heart to hear the cry of the lost? Will I speak up against injustice? or will I just stay silent? Will I touch the beggar and ask his name? Will I bless those who hurt me? And yes, will I cross my neighbor's lawn or cross a continent to follow God's call? Not because I have to, but because I want to. For His beautiful name's sake and for His glory and honor. Because I love Him, a greater love. Most of us have lived and traveled to foreign countries. Maybe even lived in one of them for a time. Many of us have come to Canada from another country. We know what it's like to be a stranger, a foreigner, an immigrant. We adapt to the new culture, we learn the language, yet deep down, we will always love our home country. Sometimes we get homesick. I experienced this acutely uh, in Morocco, where I lived for 23 years. I became as Moroccan as possible speaking Arabic, dyeing my hair with henna, wearing jalabas, learning to make butter in a goat skin. I don't know if you have that picture. (laughs) Has anybody ever done that? You shake the the goat uh, skin till it turns into butter. Cooking couscous and dajeans and eating mountains of olives and dates. But no matter how integrated I was, deep down I remained a stranger who hailed from another country. I had a different citizenship that shaped my being. I carried the seed of my home inside of me wherever I went. And so is this world for those who are adopted into God's family. We are pilgrims, we are strangers in the world but not of the world. Longing for a better Hebrews 11 says, They were admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And this verse always, for some reason, struck me. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity To return, it talks about all those heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. They could have gone home. They didn't have to go. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, a greater love. Jesus transported us into a different cosmos. We have a different citizenship. We belong to a different kingdom, a king who turns everything upside down. Or, uh, actually, as Daryl Johnson always says, right side up. Behind the world's hatred for us is the world's hatred for him. And as we are adopted into his new family, we change allegiance. We have a new master. We are a new creation. We have a greater love. I think that we actually often underestimate how radically we are changed when we encounter Jesus. It's not not just a change in lifestyle, but a change in nature. Through Christ's death, the life of heaven has entered into us. The life of the vine courses through the branches. Why is Jesus so offensive to many? It's because of his enormous and exclusive claims. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Today, this audacious claim of supremacy over all flies in the face of our obsession with the autonomy of the individual. The divine rule has become, if it feels right, do it. But when we become part of God's family, we no longer conform to the world. We follow one far greater than us. Our love for Christ supersedes all other loves because no, nobody else has laid down his life for us and brought us salvation. Colossians 1 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We have a different purpose, a different hope. Jesus was on the way to the cross when he spoke these words, fully aware of the hate of the world that was shortly to be unleashed on him. In a few short hours, religious people would condemn him and cry out for his blood. He came to his own, yet they received him not. And so, he will pay the ultimate price to reconcile sinners to holy God. And again, he reminds his disciples, no servant is greater than his master. Do you remember when he said that before? Does anybody remember? Just shortly before he had said the same thing, when he washed the disciples' feet. He said, now that I have washed your feet, do likewise. And here's the same principle again. We will suffer because we identify with Him. And on the flip side, some will respond to our message because they respond to Him. These verses paint a picture, and I really hope that, uh, this, that I get this through this morning, of this incredible closeness and resemblance between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and His followers. A family. You know, Jesus never marketed a safe and trouble-free life, as some like to preach. Remember uh, C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He has Susan ask Mr. Beaver about Aslan the lion, just the Christ uh, figure in the story. She asks him if Aslan is safe. To which Mr. Beaver replies, some of you probably know this by heart, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king. Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, John 16. The world also hates Jesus, because he exposes sin, as we see in verse 22 and 24. John 3 says, everyone who does evil hates the light. And John 7:7, the world hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. Jesus basically tells us that we have no excuse. We have seen his works, we have heard his words. We sin against the flood of light because the light reveals our own sin. And so these are some of the last words before dying on the cross. Why did he remind the disciples again of the suffering that was to come? He answers us in chapter 16 so that you will not fall away. He knows that persecution will challenge our allegiance. And even more than that, he calls us to testify to the world. We are invited to be his ambassadors, the fragrance of Christ, salt and light, his extension, his representatives, his body. And he does not leave us as orphans. I just was so touched by Mike's story this morning of Oleg the orphan. Orphans don't know where provision will come from. Who will care for them? Who will protect and feed them like Oleg? But not so with adopted children. Oleg will have a family. Jesus knew that the disciples would run and scatter in confusion and fear when he gets arrested, tried, and killed. So he promised to send the advocate, the spirit of truth, the counselor, the comforter. It is not, and I can testify to this, it is not by our own power or wit that we can stand, but by the power of God's spirit within us. In a sense, I was thinking, we're not called to Morocco or to Thailand or Cambodia or downtown Eastside, but we're called to Jesus, to abide in Him, to follow Him wherever that leads. We fix our eyes on Him, a greater love. The Christian life is not a safe life as much as we would like to hear that. It's a bold and unpredictable and risky adventure with Jesus. It's not a life of certainty and control, but of faith and trust in the only rock that will stand, the anchor of our soul. Mike said last week, if you remember, that we often don't hear God's voice because we don't listen. It's as we abide, as we seek His heart, as we are infused with God's life, we can hear His gentle call and lean into the Father's heart for the needs of the world. We can take risks. We can be inconvenienced and uncomfortable for the sake of His name. It's an honor to bear His name, the name above all names. Of course, we don't seek pain and pressure. We're not glorifying suffering. There's nothing inherently good about suffering. There was no pain in the garden in the beginning. There won't be any more pain or tears or suffering in heaven. But as we shared our light, while we're still pilgrims on this world, the darkness will try to snuff it out. We will be pressed, We are invited to share in His suffering, in His name, as we reach out with love to a hurting world and share the good news to the ends of the earth. You know, we are in birth pains. It hurts to give birth, but for the joy set before Him, it says in Hebrews 12, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And are we willing for the joy set before us, for that greater love to be uncomfortable, stretched, unsafe, pressed? It seems so foolish. It seems a waste. It seems so unproductive to the world but the world doesn't know our greater love. Let me finish with three practical steps we can take from this passage. First, pray. Pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. In fact, I would challenge you to pick one of those countries that we named this morning and commit to pray for that country. Second, let's move. Let's get out of our comfort zone, out of the salt shaker. Let's rub shoulders with the world, be involved in people's lives even when it hurts. And thirdly, testify to the one whose name we carry. I always love the expression in Arabic that the Moroccans use for foreigners. They call us Ansara which means Nazarites. Yes, I always love that we are from the tribe of the Nazarene, the greater love. And I want to finish with the story of Brother Andrew. He is best known for courageously putting his life on the line to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain at the height of the Cold War, which earned him the nickname, does anybody know? God smuggler. Along the way, Brother Andrew developed a trademark prayer to say as he smuggled Bibles and Christian literature across the border at great risk to his own life. Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. He would tell us as he told many others. The Bible is full of ordinary people who went to impossible places and did amazing things simply because they decided to follow Jesus. The real call, he said, is not a certain place or a certain career, but to everyday obedience to Christ. And that call is extended to every Christian, not just the few select. And I think that is the spirit. Ordinary people, you and me, Deciding to follow Jesus, abide in Him, daily obey Him, and let Him lead us, wherever that will take us, to follow our greater love. He's never safe, but He's good. He's the King. May our love for Him be rekindled so that we may live sacrificially and wholly for him. Amen.